0: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We'll say thanks for inviting me into your home. You have found us. This is, in fact, The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serrett. I mentioned last week that inventor Bruce McBurney passed away suddenly in his home in Niagara Falls, Canada, at the age of 60. Bruce had been on this program a couple of times uh, and uh, I met Bruce at my first Follow the Truth conference back in November 2014 uh, when he handed me a pamphlet that he published which was all about the 100-mile-per-gallon engine. And I had him on the show uh, back in December 2014. And I had him on again in early 2015 to talk about colloidal silver, which he manufactured. Then in, I believe it was March... I traveled down to uh, Niagara Falls with the family, took the boys to a uh, a tropical bird sanctuary down there, and uh, while I was down there, I thought, I will drop in and and, and see Bruce. And he gave us several quarts of his colloidal silver, and he explained how he manufactured it, and it actually came in handy a couple of weeks later when we had that uh, fire in our condo here in Toronto. You may recall, the mighty Aphrodite and I both received rather serious burns to our hands, and we suddenly remembered that we'd been down to see Bruce and we had this colloidal silver on hand, so we doused our wounds quite liberally with the colloidal silver, and uh, I had absolutely no pain. Then, early last week, I received this email telling me of Bruce's passing, suddenly. So, tonight I wanted to pay tribute to Bruce. At the bottom of the hour... I'm going to replay a portion of our interview from December 2014 in, uh, in which he talked about the 100-mile-per-gallon engine. Before that, a fairly rare occurrence here on The Conspiracy Show. Now until the bottom of the hour, open lines, and uh, we will begin with Bill. Bill, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: Hi, Richard. How are you? Great. How where are you,
0: Where are you calling from, Bill?
1: Calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania
0: area. The Keystone State. Well, welcome aboard. And I understand you have a, a website you wanted to talk about. It's uh, it's called org, And this is um, an American uh, initiative dealing with, I guess, upcoming elections. And you want to try and keep uh, uh, politicians on the straight and narrow. Tell me a little bit about areyouforthepeople.org.
1: I wanted to reach you because we like your style, and because we wanted to pull in some Canadian help. We think we can do that as well. It's actually a website that is for us to start with, but we have people from two other countries working on it as well. And the second country actually might have the website up pretty soon for theirs as well, and that would be Sweden. Believe it or not. So oh,
0: interesting. Okay, you want US this thing plan. to go global?
1: Yes, I think I think that the the things we're looking for are put questions in front of candidates that stress freedom, honesty, and liberty. And it's kind of surprising how many people around the planet like freedom, liberty, and those kinds of things. So, uh, like I said, three countries to start with. Uh, We're talking to two others right now as well. Focal points, U.S. again, and that site's up and going. And like I said, I wanted to be able to see if, there are Canadian listeners that are interested because I strongly feel that this would work well there as well. And uh, with some help, we can set that up pretty quickly for them and for you as well.
0: So the idea, Bill, if I'm understanding it, and I'm on the website right now, and again, it's www.ruforthepeople.org, is you want to arm uh, people – uh, with sort of a list of questions that they can ask candidates when they go out canvassing, and you know, rather than just, uh, say, sure, you can put a sign on my lawn, or yes, I'm a registered Democrat, right. or I'll vote for you, or, or what have you. You want to, you want to right. encourage people to engage these candidates, maybe invite them in for a cup of tea, sit them oh, down, and put their feet to the fire, and ask them a series of questions to determine. To determine what,
1: exactly? Even a little stronger than that, we've worked through seven months' worth of coming up with 15 questions for the U.S. It's not all-encompassing. We know there's other things to ask, and you know there's other problems beyond these 15. But these 15 things hit a lot of serious areas, and we want to be able to take these same 15 questions and go to all the candidates possible and get a yes or no vote from them on whether they agree or disagree with the questions. And then collect all that stuff back and, and post it for everybody to see the answers to that. It's the same questions everywhere. We think that they are, uh, universal enough that it, and common sense enough that it's difficult to say no to them. And in fact, our question 10, if you're on the site later on when you check it out, question 10 directly addresses the, uh, Inspector General Elizabeth Coleman's nice losing of nine trillion dollars in the U.S., of U.S. taxpayer dollars
0: in the Fed. Right. I, I, let me just point out for those uh, who uh, missed that particular uh, program, and I was talking about a, a story that we've posted on the website, uh, which dates back to 2009, and this was a, a U.S. representative asking uh, about the missing $9 trillion. Uh, and it hasn't been tracked and it can't be accounted for and nobody seems to know. So the question 10 that you just mentioned says, will you work to pass laws that mandate full audits of the central banks with non-redacted results made public? That's question sure. ten, 10. And, uh, you've got these, uh, there are 15 questions as you mentioned. Again, the website is areyouforthepeople.org. Uh, and you've got them in, in categories. So you've got legal, economic, Food, Health, and Education. Correct. Bill, aside from you, who is involved in this, and how did it get started?
1: It started from looking through ways of trying to do something more than, we think there's really only two options for people who are concerned with these kinds of questions. Our two options are to vote, and we're we're allowed to vote for people that are chosen by corporations that we really can't control who we get to pick from. And once they're elected, they do whatever they want to do anyway, and there's no... No recourse to go after them to do anything the right way. And the other is to go protest. Stand around in crowds and, and wave signs around. The kinds of people that, that are interested in these questions are the kinds of people that work during the day. And it's difficult to go take the day off and stand somewhere and protest so that the media can come and kind of control the viewpoint of what is being seen. Maybe let the crowd of 10,000 only see four, you know, Hundred or so, get the person who's dressed the worst, wearing the, you know, the, the stupidest sign and use that as a spokesperson for the group and kind of control the message that way. We think there's something more to be able to do just standing around in a crowd or voting sort of helplessly or who's ever presented to us.
0: Let me jump in, Bill. We're going to take a timeout. We'll come back and sure. we'll uh, finish up here. A few more questions remain. And uh, we are talking with uh, Bill about... The website areyouforthepeople.org and this campaign to ask candidates 15 essential questions. Hold their feet to the fire. areyouforthepeople.org. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show and Open Lines. Now to the bottom of the hour. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarek. Welcome back. Open lines now to the bottom of the hour. Just uh, uh, going to spend another moment here with uh, uh, Bill checking in from Philadelphia, talking about AreYouForThePeople.org. Uh Very quickly, uh, give us a sampling of some of the questions.
1: Well, sure. Uh, again, they are in legal, economic, and food and health. And they are pretty wide-wide. Wide area they cover, but they go for things that uh, include vaccinations, GMOs. Uh, will you pass laws that, uh, prohibit the withdrawal of deposits from bank accounts by uh, governments, banks, or other entities other than the account holder? So we're trying to stop the bail-in sort of issues. Uh, will you pass laws to prevent the use of U.S. military forces or foreign military personnel against American people? You're watching all the massive militarization going on, and the incredible amount of military weapons being poured into the uh, local police departments in the U.S. Something's going on there, and we kind of would like to get some answers to why, and can they stop? So, uh, the questions cover a fairly wide area, thought about them a lot. Uh, we had impact from, again, multiple countries on this, so that the questions kind of can work in other places, too. And... We think that uh, if asked, we'll get some answers from people on what they really think.
0: Well, what's to prevent a politician from simply giving you an answer that they think you want to hear, which is exactly what politicians do?
1: Right. What, what happens now is they, they get to answer individual things in individual scenarios the way they want to. And you know that the message changes based on where they're at or who they're talking to. That's another reason for the set series of questions that will go against them all. Once they answer the questions, if they tell the truth or they don't tell the truth, we have the answer to them. And we think that at least we have something in our hands now, if they answer them, and again, even if they did not, to address the issue of what's next, instead of being elected and then going off and just doing whatever they want to do after that.
0: All right, Bill. And again, the website is areyouforthepeople.org. Uh, and do people need to register? As, uh, do you want them to me- register as members? or
1: uh... They can just send an email in, and if they want to help, we'll be glad to have their assistance. If they have ideas, glad to listen, and we're going to have forums for them to share ideas as well. Can I take a second to thank them? Absolutely. Just a second. I want to thank the original core team. Thank you, LD. Thank you, Clover, Maggie and Gopher, and thank you, Faye. Without whose help, I would easily be five years younger.
0: <laughs> well, That's I, I think it's a, this is a great initiative, and I, uh, I, I encourage people to, to visit areyouforthepeople.org. And hopefully, this will uh, develop into a, uh, a worldwide movement.
1: Thank you very much, Richard.
0: Thank you, Bill. Bill, checking in from uh, Philadelphia. All right, up next. Ah, okay. This is Bob Dunn. Uh, Bob, also, I think is in uh, Bob is in Pittsburgh, I think. And Bob was with us a couple of weeks ago talking about Planet X the approach of Nibiru. Uh, he's been photographing or video, uh, videoing the um, what he says is the approach of Planet X, putting a, a special filter on his, iPhone, his smartphone camera and pointing it at the sun, and he's back here with an update. Bob, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: Hey, Richard. Good, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me on.
0: Wow, what is uh, it's been a couple of weeks, maybe a month since you were on. Uh, very quickly uh, explain how you're capturing the uh, this image and and what it what it is it that you're seeing and tracking.
2: Well, matter of fact I just uploaded a video today or uh, pictures today. <clears throat> I'm using a 3G cell phone. So it's not real high tech and most of the captures I'm using a uh, an old computer floppy disk that I cut up. The shinier ones work the best, and I'm taped two layers to the back of the phone over the camera lens and then just shoot directly at the sun. And I'm always catching at least two or three other objects up there besides the sun. I take it in all five uh, camera formats. The regular, there's a negative format, uh tepia, blue, and uh, a black screen. So you get five different uh, quality images. And uh, it's, it's getting bigger, so we're get, definitely getting closer to it.
0: And, and uh, you estimated the uh, the mass of this particular object to be what?
2: Well, um, you just can, can go by reports, and I've been doing this for like over four years, following, trying to follow this thing on the Internet and whatnot, and then finally I started capturing shots of it back in uh, mid-November. But uh, it's supposed to be approximately four times the mass of Jupiter, that's the dwarf star, and it could have five to seven planets and or moons that are orbiting this uh, dark star, brown dwarf star, which is why it's not it's not readily visible unless it's up near the sun, because it needs something to illuminate it. And now that it's up by the sun, and it would appear that it's actually in front of the sun now, by the way, I moved the camera around, because you can catch uh, lens flares, when you move the camera a little bit cuz it's right directly in front of the sun.
0: So how do you know how do you how how are you certain that, that this is not simply a lens flare?
2: Well, because you got the lens flare from the sun itself and then you still have three other ones, you know.
0: And and time. so this is a this is a brown dwarf and it's dragging the entire its entire solar system along with it. Is that the idea? Yeah,
2: it's supposed to have like a mini solar system with it with planet Nibiru being one of the planets, which, of course, uh, uh, Zacharias Titchen wrote a lot about, who translated this ancient Sumerian text.
0: And you're attributing a lot of the recent volcanic activity to this the approach, correct?
2: absolutely. Yeah. Yellowstone's heating up. Uh, That one in Hawaii's heating up. The lava lakes already collapsed one time, the crater around the lava lake. They've been having a lot more seismic activity, too, worldwide. Of course, you know about the Nepal earthquake. Yes. And uh, we just had one today in 6.1 over in the Izu Islands, Japan region.
0: Do you have an ETA for this?
2: Well, it's really hard to say, but um, I can guarantee it's going, to be before the, uh, it's going to be before that Jade Helm exercise. They've been hyping so much in the media and on the Internet. Uh, which is, I think, scheduled for July
0: 20th. Yeah, this is the Department of Homeland Security military maneuvers in which they are targeting uh, essentially Republican states that have uh, sort of threatened, uh, not threatened uh, um, to separate, but um, are sort of, you know, grousing with uh, the Fed, the feds over state rights and so forth. Which is kind of odd language that they are ba- basically declaring war on or, or simulating war against their own people.
2: Uh, well, I think that's just a lot of hype, to be honest with you. you, have a, you doing you've doing got a
0: YouTube they channel. To
2: keep the, they're doing anything they can to keep the uh, focus away from uh, the natural disasters that are going on, the okay. seismic activity, volcanoes, and, of course, the uh, incoming Nibiru system. If you notice, they'll chemtrail the sky real heavily to your west.
0: To obstruct to obscure the view.
2: Absolutely. Okay, but do you have a
0: YouTube channel, Bob? A, yeah, a YouTube you channel?
2: Google Robert Dunn YouTube. And uh, there may be more than one that pops up, but just look for the one that has the pictures of uh, the sun with a couple objects next to it, and that'll be my channel. There's a couple other people that have been catching some great shots of it, too. The uh, Louis7777 put out a nice video last week on it, and then uh, Gianna Serendipity Taylor channel. Has caught, put up a couple of nice videos this week on it.
0: Where are they? All the all ancient or they the uh, the um, amateur astronomers you know um, crying?
2: Um... Well, because uh, there's been over a hundred <clears throat> plus astronomers or astrophysicists that have wound up mysteriously dead, and they work in pairs, and the both of them are dead within weeks of each other. Whenever uh, I guess they were going to go speaking out about it. The guy who originally discovered it, Shoemaker, Gene Shoemaker, he was over in Australia. He was fixing to release a paper back in the early 80s, and he supposedly got run over by one of them triple uh, truck deals down in Australia, Outback, and then his observatory burned to the ground. Uh, Then you have the CETI Naval Astronomer. Uh, He was talking with uh, Zachariah Stitch, and I can't think of his name at the moment, but he mysteriously died, so uh, they're, they're scared. They're running scared.
0: All right. Well, listen, Once Bill, you've got to. You've got to. They're
2: not going to get their grant money either. Of okay. course, if they if they go against the program, you know what I mean.
0: Got it, Bill. Got to run, but uh, listen, stay safe and uh, keep us updated. We'll, uh, we'll we'll speak again soon.
2: Okay. Thanks, Richard. God bless.
0: All right. Thanks, Bob. I think I called him Bill, but it's uh, Bob Dunn on okay. uh, the approach of. Uh, Nibiru and Planet X. Uh, we've got time to squeeze in one more, I think, and uh, we're going to go to Jared. Jared, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: Hey, good. Thanks, Richard.
0: Okay. I've got here that you are a, a, a director of a, um, a film called Last Caller.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, and uh, where are you checking in from, by the way?
3: Seattle, Washington.
0: Ah, excellent. Okay. So, um, tell me about, uh, this. is this a student film?
3: Yeah, it's um, it's a spring thesis project. So pretty much everybody involved with it's been been uh, doing a ton of stuff, and this is kind of like the the biggest project of the year.
0: All right, and this is it's an interesting, interesting premise because it somewhat uh, mirrors what we do on this program. It's it's based on a, a host of a conspiracy paranormal type show, correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but it's not biographical. This is not about me. Let's state that for the
3: record. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. It's actually the, the kind of the catalyst for the writer um, was, uh, and I'm sure most of your listeners know about this, but the, the famous or infamous uh, Area 51 phone call from uh, 1997 to uh, Coast to Coast AM. Um, the, uh, just the recording of that was kind of inspiration for the, the writer Um, and so it's, it's loosely like inspired by, by that and just the information or content of that phone call and the fact that the station did lose contact with the satellites. Right. Um, Right. So it's kind of a, what if this is what happened at the station that night? That's kind of the the premise.
0: Okay. And how long is this film?
3: Uh, it's going to be probably like 12 to 15 minutes, something like that.
0: All right. And this is a real this is an actual uh this is a professionally shot uh, and you've got a like a budget and and professional uh or is it, it is, a, yeah, Okay.
3: Yeah. How, um, how did you raise the money uh, for this? Um sorry.
0: How did you raise the money for it?
3: Well, we're we're still in that process actually. It's okay. through a website called seedandspark.com. Um it's a crowdfunding website and uh yeah, if you just go to seedandspark.com and search for Last Caller, it'll come up.
0: Seed Spark, and Spark. Uh, so this yeah, is like a GoFundMe or a kickstart. This is called Seed and Start. SeedandSpark.com. Ste- com. Okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're all really, really excited about it. We've been putting a ton of work into it. Um, we've got union actors and stuff on it as well, which is great access to a ton of fantastic equipment. So it's it's definitely going to be a... A professional short film and once it's completed um we definitely have plans of submitting it to film festivals and uh getting it out to as many people as possible
0: so aside from the, uh, the you know the the impetus for this being the uh, the famous call from area 51 to coast to coast um uh which is a program i, I guest host on uh, several times a month what sure. uh, what is give us the sort of the synopsis of the uh, of the film
3: so the, the host of the show is named Anthony, and he's at a point in his career where he's he's received just tons and tons of phone calls that are just repetitive or, you know, saying the same stories over and over. And at one point, you know, the paranormal and, and all of this was something he was very, very passionate about, and it's what got him out of bed in the morning. And he's, he's burnt out. Um, so he's, yeah, he just... Is not passionate about it at all anymore.
0: He's kind of I'm phoning it this. in, no pun intended, as they say. What's that, sir? He's kind of phoning it in at this point in his career.
3: Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, and, you know, until this night, until he receives this phone call, which he's initially skeptical of, and then, uh, without giving away too much of, of the plot, yeah, uh, events start to unfold, and uh, a lot of uh, terrifying things happen at the station that's uh, really changed his perspective on a lot of stuff that he's become skeptical about
0: it sounds like a great premise uh, and uh, again it's uh, the the film is called the last call caller the last caller you are the, last, the caller. Yep. last caller last caller you are the director Jared is that right I am yep okay and uh, if uh, people want to find out more they go to the the crowdfunding website give us that again yes SeedandSpark.com. SeedandSpark.com, and and then they just search for Last Caller. Well, good luck to you, and I I can't wait to check this out.
3: Thank you very much.
0: All right, Jared. uh, The director of a student film called Last Caller, uh, which is uh, about a a talk show host, not dissimilar to yours truly, but uh, it's not based on this particular program. Uh, However, I look forward to seeing that. All right. uh, We are at the bottom of the hour. On the other side, we're going to dial back to December 2014 and uh, my conversation with the late Bruce McBurney, inventor and uh, manufacturer of colloidal silver and distributor of a pamphlet, perhaps a very dangerous pamphlet, the 100 mile per gallon engine. We lost Bruce a couple of weeks ago. This is our little tribute to uh, Mr. McBurney coming up next right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
1: Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with
0: Richard Serrett. All right. Welcome back. Richard Serrett with you here. What follows is one of my last conversations with the late inventor, Bruce McBurney. Bruce McBurney, how are you? Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. I'm doing excellent, Richard. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Just sorting through this material, reams and reams of material that, that you sent me, and I'm looking at some headlines from some old newspapers. The El Paso Times, dated 1977, 200 miles on two gallons of gas. Uh, then uh, there, there's another uh, headline here from the Desert News staff, uh, the, the Desert News, uh, pollution-free device powered by amazing fuel, uh, inventors say. Uh, Another one here, Experts Probe, Ogle Fuel System, Ogle Fuel System, no hoax. Uh, What's this all about, Bruce? What are we talking about, this super high mileage uh, fuel injection system?
4: Well, I've been hearing these things all my life, and when I was a kid, I heard about this guy guy in El Paso, Texas, and that kind of spurred me on. Um, Basically, there's been many stories of inventors coming out with devices, and they would call them vapor carburetors. And they would get like five times the gas mileage. The guy in Texas was driving a 351 cubic inch Ford Galaxy. And I have 47 different newspaper articles just on him alone. Basically, what they were doing is they weren't just vaporizing the gasoline. I found and actually proved at the university that they were cracking gasoline into natural gas and methanol. And uh, this is why they would get five times the gas mileage, pollution-free, because now they were burning two of the cleanest fuels going, natural gas and methanol.
0: When you say they're cracking it, you mean the molecules uh, or the, the atoms? Of... No, no,
4: not the atoms, the molecules. The
0: molecules. They're yeah. cracking
4: it yeah, and it, creating? It, it, it's like putting an onboard oil refinery on your car, where you're taking that gasoline and refining it down into its finest form, natural gas. Uh, natural gas, propane, gasoline, diesel, they're all the same. They're hydrocarbons. And just depends on how long the chain is, depends on what it is. If it's a singular carbon, C1H4, that's natural gas. If it's three carbons, it's propane. If it's six through 12, that's gasoline. 12 through 20 is uh, diesel fuel. And you know that long, stringy grease that they use in the wheel bearings? Well, that can be several hundred carbon molecules joined together in a nice long chain. That's what gives it the string effect.
0: So the idea here is to burn were to heat the gasoline up so that it vaporizes? How does this work exactly?
4: Well, actually, the original things, and if you look at most of the patents, what they said it was a vaporizing carburetor, like uh, boiling or atomizing the gasoline, because gasoline does not burn in a liquid state. If you had a half a can of gasoline and you threw a match at it, it would only be the vapors on the top that burn. The liquid doesn't burn. So they were saying if they pre-vaporized it, they would basically... Uh, get this better mileage. But I actually did that and I found well even if you pre-vaporize it, it still will have the same boiling point and when you compress it, it reliquifies. But when you crack it, you change the molecular structure into a lower boiling point fuel that will not reliquify. Like with natural gas, it takes a thousand pounds of pressure to reliquify it, where 200 pounds in a cylinder isn't enough to reliquify. So when your spark fires, the gas explodes and you go all his mileage.
0: 100 miles to the gallon. Have you recreated one of these?
4: Uh, yes, actually. I had a 76 Dodge Maxi Van, 360 cubic inch V8 getting between 70 and 80 miles per gallon, according to the mileage computer. But it was like the Wright Brothers airplane. It proved the principle, but a dangerous piece of crap. And I have no suicidal tendencies, so what I did, I you know, I just couldn't get it to go any further. It's like people say, oh, you can do this, build me a Learjet. Well, it took a long time to get from the Wright brothers to the Learjet. Sure, sure. And so what I did with this van, because I just couldn't get it to run consistency, I got the head of the chemistry department at Brock University intrigued, showed him a bunch of books and patents, and he actually set it up so we analyzed the gas proving i was making methane natural gas and when we had this done he said oh this is no problem we'll get you a hundred thousand dollar research grant so i waited and waited he never called me back so i called him up i said professor what's happening with the grant he says oh i'm sorry i can not get you a nickel it's not chemistry it's politics (laughs) and furthermore i don't want to be involved in your research i have my health and my family to be concerned with
0: he said that to you?
4: Yes, sir. And at the time, I just thought somebody was sick in the family. But it wasn't until later on that I... Because like I was very open when he says, Oh, you want to keep this quiet? I says, No, we got to tell everybody. I don't worry about my patent getting stolen. If somebody steals it, at least it gets out of the market. Right. And so you,
0: you so, don't worry about becoming another Stanley Myers?
4: Well, no, I... I'm a Christian. If they kill me, I'll wake up in heaven. (laughs) That's my attitude.
2: Right, right.
4: And I had a guy threaten me, and I told him that. And they can't really threaten me because I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid for what's going to happen for our children if we all have, you know, I mean... So as I say, if you saw somebody shooting your grandchildren in the head, you're going to get off your ass and do something.
0: All right, listen, we'll take a time out uh, and come back and continue to discuss the secret super high mileage report. Imagine 100 miles to the gallon, 3 liters per 100 kilometer super fuel injection system inventor, Bruce McBurney with me right here in The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we're back with Bruce McBurney. How did you get into this, Bruce? How did you uh, start uh, researching the superfuel injection system? And, and, and um, I know you, you invent a lot of uh, different uh, things, but how did you get into this area specifically?
4: Well, I'd heard of this story from about Tom Ogle years ago. I was working electrical motor mechanic in a shop, and a guy from Scotland got his paper from back home. Well, it was in his paper, it was in the Hamilton Spectre paper, but it wasn't in the Standard or the Niagara Falls paper. But then years later, I was out shopping with the wife, and I see this Farmer's Almanac magazine, so I'm looking through it, and there's an ad for this book, Secrets of the 200-mile-per-gallon carburetor. Well, this is a Farmer's Almanac. It's not the um, rag-sheet tabloid, you know, whatever they call them, that'll print anything. The Farmer's Almanac's been around for 100 years. I thought it had integrity. So I bought the book and it listed and it showed all these patents on these vapor carburetors and I just wanted to find out the truth, so I just started building and playing with it myself. I've been fixing and playing with things since I was a kid uh, and, you know, I'm, when I was 16 years old I did TV service calls on my own and I've just been fixing stuff and I just wanted to find out, so I started building things and I thought it was just a vapor carburetor. And you ask a hundred mechanics what the boiling point of gasoline is, and they don't have a clue. Well, this is to boil that gasoline. Well, they, you know, but uh, then you do all this. I did all the research trying to find out the boiling point, and that's when I started understanding the idea of breaking it down.
0: Is it possible, rather than than, than heating it and creating a vapor, could you not... Uh, I'm I'm, I'm thinking back to Stanley Meyer's water engine, and and, uh, a number of people have tried to recreate that, but uh, I spoke to an electrician, an electrical engineer, uh, rather, uh, down in uh, Long Island, who was working on his version of Stanley Meyer's water engine, and he was essentially cracking these water molecules with a... uh, as some sort of uh, electronic wave form, like I, I believe he called it a square pattern or something.
4: Yeah, it was a square wave pattern. Uh, it was a frequency hitting the resonant frequency. Right. Did like you do it that way? No. Uh, basically, uh, mine was uh, just a fuel cracking system using the heat and, and, and taking the vaporized gasoline and right. water. Isn't and that volatile, down. though, and dangerous? Uh, well, I I did all mine very safely. I mean, I was running at seven pounds, but before I did it, I heated it up as hot as it would go, and I pressure tested it at a hundred pounds with an air compressor. So then I was running it with seven pounds of fuel. So you know, I mean, it was you know quite a heavy duty unit. I do things quite safe, but I had fire extinguishers and everything around. But, yeah, there was an element of danger, and then I realized that, you know, I I just didn't have the brains or the financing to take it any further than what I did. I knew that it was possible, and I thought, well, if I put a book together, your mother-in-law can read and understand that eventually I, you know, would get some help. And I also knew that this had been suppressed before, so I wanted to make it a little bit of an insurance policy that, you know, the information was out there at least, you know.
0: what what, Whatever happened to uh, this Ogle gentleman uh, that's written about in
4: uh, various um, newspapers. About a year after his run, he turned down the money from the oil companies. They said he came out of a bar and he got shot, and that didn't kill him. A couple, three months later, they found him dead in the middle of a, um, the desert, and they called it a suicide. It was a drugs and alcohol overdose. Um, he And I actually sold one of my books to went to high school with Tom, Because, you know, this guy was in El Paso, and he grew up with Tom in high school. And then years later, he was on the Internet, and he found all my information. So he got a book, and we were talking, and he says, yeah, Tom was very straight. He didn't do drugs. In fact, one of the magazine articles, the reporter said, what do you attribute your inventing skills to? And Tom replied, the fact that I practice kung fu, and I won't even take an aspirin. Ah, this is Tom Ogle we're talking about. Yeah, Tom Ogle. They say he died of a drug and alcohol overdose.
0: So he was suicided.
4: Yeah, suicided. That's a good term for it.
0: And and you said Big Oil approached him. How much did they offer him?
4: Uh, according to the newspaper article, it was $25 million.
0: Twenty, and he turned it down?
4: Yeah. Well, I have a friend right now that's sitting in a Montana jail, and his website's Gadget Man Groove, Ron Hatton. He t- turned down $40 million last year, and they put drugs on him, and he's... Been in jail ever since uh, February,
0: but was he was he uh, trying to yeah, he's patent got the same mod- type of
4: device? Well, he he did get a patent on it. It's it's a different thing, and it's not the 100 miles per gallon. It's just a small modification they make to the carburetor throttle body. If you go to GadgetManGroove.com or on YouTube, he's got GadgetManGlobal is his handle, and he's got all kinds of testimonials, people that have gotten 50% and doubled their gas mileage. You know, some cars it don't work on, and some cars it works really great on. It's kind of a, it depends on your intake manifold. But, um yeah, the guy was out there for three, four years, and he was teaching other people how to do it, and they just pulled the rug right well. You know, rug right on from him. And he's not the first. It was another guy. And, well, he just passed away last year. The Alan Caggiano story. He had a website, get 113 to 138. And
0: miles per gallon.
4: Miles per gallon. He was driving a Dodge Coronet station wagon. And uh, they framed him for drugs. He proved the drugs weren't his. But they got him on a weapons charge. He did 10 years in jail.
0: There's a um, a letter here from... A chemistry professor at, the, at Brock University? Can I? Just... Yeah, that's
4: the professor that I worked with. But that letter was written after the fact he was threatened, only because I kept pestered him. And the letter is very wimpy for what he knew. Okay, He's...
0: let me just read it here. Okay. This is from Brock University. It's on Brock University letterhead. To whom it may concern, Mr. John Bruce McBurney of Niagara Falls, Ontario, has worked alone for a m- number of years to design, develop, and test a novel automobile carburetor in this carburetor, gasoline aerosol produced conventionally is converted to gasoline vapor with the, the use of heat generated in the operation of the automobile engine. The gasoline vapor is mixed with water vapor and passed through a heated iron catalyst bed for conversion into lower molecular weight hydrocarbons and carbon monoxide. The lower molecular weight hydrocarbons and carbon monoxide serve as the fuel within the automobile engine. In his test vehicle, Mr. McBurney was able at, able at will The switch from normal operation to operation of the vehicle with hydrocarbon and carbon monoxide fuel. It goes on and on and on. And then it it says, I have helped Mr. McBurney and will continue to help him scientifically, technologically, and financially because of the great benefits that his invention, if it is successful, will bring to society which is currently plagued by inefficiency and serious pollution. Signed, E.A. Cherniak, Professor of Physical Chemistry, and that's dated June 16th, 1989. That's Brock University. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this was after, he, I mean, he wrote this letter, but th- this was after he told you, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the health of my family.
4: Yeah, so when he says, I'm worried about my family, I says, Oh, I'm sorry, Professor. You've got to look after your family, but, you know, uh, we've done a lot of research, you know. And then I left him alone. Then I called him back months later to see how things were going and, you know, kind of getting the bum shuffle and I said to him, well okay, I understand you don't want to work it, but we did a lot of work. Can I get you to do a letter of, rec- you know, just to say what we did because we see we he says it should be given the opportunity. We had analyzed through gas chromatograph and ultraviolet spectrum analysis proving I was making natural gas. And when he said when we had both of them done, he said this is scientific proof. You're on to something. We'll have no problem getting you a $100,000 research grant. Well, then, after they threatened it, I kept calling them back. Oh, could we get just get a letter, you know? And I'm a persistent little fellow, so I kept calling them back. And so he says, "Well, I guess I guess I could do something." Well, the test was done in December of '87. It wasn't till June of '89 the letter was written. I didn't get the letter till the fall of '89. And in the meantime, all this time, I got screwed around by the patent office because when I filed the patent in November of '87. Uh, they said, Oh, you've got two years under a caveat to file your patent. Well, I, you know, I got all depressed because I couldn't get anywhere. It was hitting your head against a brick wall. Right, right. So it was finally a year and a half later. I go, Oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and pursue the patent. And they come back and they say, Oh, sorry, well, we changed the law. And you only had one year. But at the time I filed it, I had two years. They changed the law. They never told me the law. And then I went up and I appealed it, drove all the way to Ottawa, appealed it. I went in with a bunch of books and a stack of patents. And the, pa- the guys come in and they're looking at all my stuff. And it turns out they're the guys on the tribunal. I present my information. They go, oh, well, you've got a very solid case. We'll give you our decision in two weeks. Two weeks later, sorry, nope, can't do it, screw you. Uh, you have the option of going and filing to the Supreme Court. Well, oh, I didn't have the kind of money to right. go to the Supreme Court. Now, right. if you're a criminal, you can get all kinds of money from legal aid. But if you're a homeowner, you can't get any money without them putting a lien on your house.
0: So where are you at with this now, Bruce? Have you pretty much given up on this? Or oh, No,
4: I, I just keep saying one of these days I'm going to find people that care and I'm going to help uh, get the financing out. And I've got a lot of other people fired into this stuff. and. Uh, the word's getting out. People are realizing, you know, that technology and things can change. Could they
0: just, could I take a, a, I mean, I wouldn't want to, you know, uh, take a brand new car and have this, this, uh, adjustment made because I'd, I guess I'd probably, uh, you know, void the warranty. I don't want to work
4: on a brand new one. I always, I would go and buy a a Junker and play with it. Exactly.
0: I mean, could anyone buy a Junker, take it to a garage, hand them your secret super high mileage report and have it made? No. Why not?
4: Because most well, that was the reason why I wrote the book. It's like I can explain to you how to build a refrigerator. But if they shot the guy who invented the refrigerator years ago and we were all using ice boxes, you'd spend thirty five to fifty thousand dollars building that refrigerator that would break down in three months. But because it's mass produced, you can go and buy one for five hundred bucks and it'll run ten or fifteen years.
0: right. That's the idea. You need, you need these to be mass-produced. Otherwise, it's not economically feasible.
4: Well, who's going to spend $10,000 on a carburetor with all the prototyping and everything to save $5,000 worth of fuel?
0: Right. That's what it would cost.
2: Yeah, well, I, I,
4: I, I, I don't know what it would cost in the final thing. I know when I did my van, I spent a few thousand dollars in about three months of my time, and I just had you know a piece of crap like the Wright brothers. But it did prove the point. And I didn't know now that hey, this can be done, but I. And at the time, I thought it was a control issue. I was thinking you need a computer control, and I didn't have the technico- technology, and, or you know even the price for what a computer was back then. Now things are changed. You can get a PLC for 250 bucks to, you know, do something like this if you had a decent programmer. But I can't afford that. I've just basically, uh, you know, I...
0: Is 100 miles to the gallon, is that that about the upper limit? Let's say you were to put one of these on, a, let's say, a smart car. Could you get 200 miles to the
4: gallon? Oh, no. A smart car would basically get uh, about 350.
0: 350 miles to the gallon. Well, in
4: 1936, there was a guy in Winnipeg doing 200 miles per gallon. And uh, there's an article, uh, oh, what it was, I'm trying to remember the year, 1973, I think it was, the Shell Mileage Marathon car went 369 miles per gallon in a 2,500-pound car. Oh, my. Yeah, the, 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 the mileage record is something around 8,000 miles per gallon.
0: And I'm guessing that all of the automakers know that this is possible, and uh, they're essentially...
4: Yeah, we're well, not going to well, budge because... It's controlled by the oil companies and the drug companies and the same people and the bankers and it's all controlled with the oil and this... I have one CD-ROM that a fellow put together because he went through my website and in my website there's an article called Research for the Scholarly that this other fellow wrote and he couldn't get it published. Well, it was explaining the 100 mile per gallon and it lists 569 different patented fuel saving systems. Now, many of them are bought up by the oil companies. Now, if it doesn't work, why would you patent it? On average, it takes one year's salary. It don't matter 1919 or 1969, whatever the average one-year salary is about right. what a patent costs.
0: Precisely. Listen, Bruce, we're, we're out of time, but we've, we've got to talk about this again very, in, in the time that remains very quickly. How do people get a copy of the secret super high mileage report?
4: Go to my website, himacresearch.com. Or you can call me. My phone number is 905-358-8541. I just take the time. I explain it to anybody that calls. I just want the truth to know. I get people fired up. They're out there telling other people. And one okay. of these days, this got to get out there.
0: All right. Well, we'll do our part as well, and we'll have you back on. Thank you so much for this, Bruce. Absolutely fascinating.
4: Oh, you're quite welcome. And i got a lot of other things I've learned uh, just because I shared that out. That we, we will talk. Things.
0: <laughs> Rest assured, we will talk. Bruce right. McBurney.
4: Uh, we will
0: not talk, uh, because Bruce McBurney has passed from this earth April 26th at the age of 60, suddenly in his home in Niagara Falls, Canada. Now, I am not here to tell you that Bruce McBurney died as a result of foul play. I have no indication of that. It is interesting, however, that he mentioned that, as a Christian, had no fear of death. He'd wake up in heaven. There's nothing anyone could do to him. But the technology, this super carburetor, potentially very disruptive technology, and a gentleman that was developing the same technology in the 1970s did die under mysterious circumstances in Texas. Again, not saying anything foul or anything untowards happened to Bruce McBurney when he passed away. I have no, no idea what he died from. Uh, however, if you go to the website richardserat.com, and at the uh, top you'll see the slide carousel there once again, uh, you will see a, an in-memoriam slide for Bruce, and if you click on that, that'll take you to his uh, obituary. Uh, his website, himacresearch.com, is still up, and it's online. So, uh, I, I guess as a further tribute to Bruce, you could, uh, you could go to their website and, and find out more about his work, and uh, his 100 mile per gallon engine. And uh, I'll leave it for you to decide whether he was onto something or not. But this ultimately, I guess, aside from his uh, his family that he leaves, this will be his legacy. Bruce McBurney. Eternal be your memory. Uh once again, if you go up to uh, the website richardserrat.com, another uh, story that um, Elbert the intern has posted there. I thought I would share with you just before we dim the lights here and say goodnight. DARPA. You're familiar with DARPA? No doubt. Uh they that's the uh, US Defense Research Projects Agency. The headline here, DARPA cortical modem connects brain directly to computer for electronic telepathy and telekinesis. A brain computer interface interface has been developed by DARPA that is capable of laying a heads-up display over a user's natural vision. The cortical modem, as it's called, also holds the potential to cure sight loss and enable electronic telepathy and telekinesis, according to noted futurist Peter Rothman, writing for H-Plus Magazine. While still a long way from production, the direct neural interface chip would be shaped like a coin around one centimeter wide and could conceivably cost as little as $10. As outlined at the Biology is Technology conference in Silicon Valley last week, the interface provides a direct link between the brain and an external device or software through manipulation of the visual cortex. Philip Elvolda, chief of DARPA's Biological Technologies, told the conference how the device could replace all virtual reality glasses such as the oculus rift, by bypassing the visual sensory system entirely. The project builds on the work of Carl Deisseroth in the field of optogenetics, according to H-Plus Magazine, which was in attendance at the California conference. DARPA has led the way in a number of futurist and transhumanist projects, including a tiny implant that assists the body's organs in healing themselves, when injured, well, the his, uh, the future is now, ladies and gentlemen. Let me repeat that headline. DARPA cortical modem connects brain directly to computer for electronic telepathy and telekinesis. I'll leave you to chew on that overnight. My thanks to Tim Spreen, Eric, and Albert, the interns, all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing hidden. It won't be revealed and nothing that I say in the dark speak in the light which you hear in a whisper proclaim from the housetops move over Aphrodite I'm coming home good night